The variant is uh, the variant. What do you want to say about it? Well, I kind of want them to shut up about it, quite frankly. They are hyping this thing and hyping this thing and hyping this thing without really telling you what the real thing is. The world racing to shut out or at least slow down the alarming new COVID variant first found in South Africa. The WHO officially naming it Omicron. You know, when they want you to panic over everything, you start to panic over nothing. Let's go to the fine print on Omicron, please. Uh, okay, yeah, it's all over the place. Highly transmissible, milder symptoms, zero reported deaths. When I heard that, I was actually kind of shocked because of the Omicron, Omicron, Omicron. Consider this, Cornell University, upstate New York, part of the Ivy League, great school. They shut down its entire Ithaca campus after significant signs of the Omicron variant. Now, you got to remember this. Up there at Ithaca, Cornell, they do everything you're supposed to do times 10. Uh, let's see. 97% vaccination rate up there. Uh, they test everybody if you're not vaccinated. Indoor masking requirements. Still at a COVID outbreak. Uh, no hospitalizations or even serious illness why do you have to shut down the entire campus? We need to stop panicking. We need to learn to live with COVID. We need to live our lives. And that's from uh, Mike Davis, by the way, veteran of uh, MAGA world. So um, have you noticed, by the way, we have no deaths, as I mentioned. What about deaths? I noticed that um, we're not really talking about them, even though we've had more death over the last year than the previous year. Joe Biden, he made an awful big deal about that. Remember when he was running for president? At times, I think he was running for funeral director in chief. I mean, talk about empathy. My fellow Americans, there are moments in our history so grim, so heartrending that they're forever fixed in each of our hearts, a shared grief. Okay. That was at 100,000 deaths, all right? Remember, he's running for president. I don't mean to be insensitive here, but I'm very skeptical about this guy and where his heart is. 200,000 deaths. We are under attack, as I said earlier. 200,000 plus have died. 50,000 a day are getting the virus. 1,000 a day thereabouts are dying. This is a national emergency. Okay. What happened when we reached the milestone of 300,000 deaths? Today, our nation passed a grim milestone. 300,000 deaths to do this COVID virus. My heart goes out to each of you in this dark winter of the pandemic. Dark winter of the pandemic. And when we hit 400,000 deaths. Between sundown and dusk, let us shine the lights in the darkness along the sacred pool of reflection. Remember all whom we lost. He's about to become president. Things are about to change. They don't change right away. What happened at 500,000 COVID deaths? That's more Americans who have died in one year in this pandemic than in World War One, World War Two and the Vietnam War combined. And you can see it's a, it's a candlelight vigil at the White House. All right. 
So he's a brand new president at this point. He's president. He's president. So he changes his tune rather dramatically as these milestones continue to uh, occur. At 600,000 deaths, what did Joe do? No ceremony, just a tweet. The black hole that seems to consume you, but a time will come when the memory brings a smile to your lips. Okay, nice message, I guess, but just a tweet. When we hit 700,000 COVID deaths in October, just a statement, a paper statement. Our nation mourns the painful milestone. We must not become numb to the sorrow. You see, they're scaling down. They're scaling down the memorials. And this week, 800,000. How did we commemorate? How did Joe Biden commemorate all those lives lost? President Biden on 800,000 coronavirus deaths. Um, do you have a statement on your responsibility? And why haven't you uh, asked China to do more to be transparent on the origins? <laughs> what happened to Mr. Empathy, huh? Whatever happened to uh, filling that dark hole? Remember, 400,000. There was that beautiful candlelit ceremony at the Lincoln Memorial. And where are we now? Huh? Political, political, political. Anybody who screams at the top of their lung how empathetic they are is not empathetic. 700,000, that silly statement, hollow we know now, numb to the sorrow. Look at Joe. He's not only numb, he's oblivious. He's totally, totally oblivious. I never believed that about Joe being some sort of nice guy and empathizer-in-chief. I hope you didn't either. Want to go to the West Coast now. Oregon tends to lean liberal, but that is a uh, Republican lawmaker in the state capital of Salem. His name is Dallas Hurd, and he's had enough with the mask mandates. Uh, in the state capital, they tell him to wear the mask. He said, I don't think so. Not anymore. All right, just a minute. All right. Yeah, I know what's going on. All right. You know you don't have a mask on. You're supposed to have a mask on. So why don't you get up and tell us what you want, and then I'm going to ask you to leave the floor, please, Senator. Simply put, I'm just exercising the rights of the free people of Oregon. Could you put your mask on just for the signy die? I do not have a mask. Could you please leave the floor, please? No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I love this guy. And by the way, they're automatically socially distanced in that place. What happened next? I was asking you respectfully if you would, you make your statement. I recognize you and I ask you just to put on the mask or to leave the chamber. And you're refusing to do both. Mr. President, respectfully, I think it's very interesting that our very own governor, who has put our children and the people of Oregon under these mask mandates, was recently photographed many times, in fact, not wearing a mask at a crowded indoor event. This has gone on far enough. I'm going to ask you one last time. Would you please put your mask on before I bring the gavel down to Sonny Dot? No, sir. Okay. And will you leave the chamber before I bring the gavel down? The people of Senate District 1 elected me to represent them on this floor at this desk, so no, I will not leave. Good for you. And he's right about the governor, Kate Brown, photographed all over the place not wearing a mask. There she is in the middle. This is good. What happened next? Senator, you are in violation of SR 17.01 sub 2 and OROSHA rules requiring all individuals to wear masks in an employer's facility and will therefore not be granted access to the Senate floor chamber. 
or Capitol buildings until you are in compliance with the rule. I ask the Sergeant of Arms to please escort Senator Dallas Heard from the chamber. Wow, in violation of uh, OR subset 2, section W, they've already bureaucratized this rule, and he called the cops. And Dallas Heard walked out, didn't put up a fight. I think that was the right call. There he is in the middle of the two uh, sergeants at arms, and he walks out. But I like his style. This stuff has gone on way, way, way too long. And he cited the science. You know who else does that? And I've been paying a lot of attention to lately. Elon Musk. You know, I, uh, I used to, I couldn't figure him out. I didn't really understand uh, what made this guy tick, but whatever. He's brilliant. He's successful. And he was recognized as Time Magazine of the Year. Uh, I actually think this was a very good choice. This is a guy who marches to his own drummer. He's not afraid of the fake news. He gives it to Democrat and Republican politicians alike. And when it comes to uh, COVID, he's smart and he's not hysterical. I mean, I'm very, very pro-vaccination. Yeah. I believe uh, it's, the science is unequivocal. Yeah. I treat it to that effect. But, but by the same token, I, I am against forcing people to be vaccinated. You know, I think this is just not something we should do in America. I think we should encourage people to be vaccinated, strongly try to convince them to be vaccinated, right. but not force them to be vaccinated or, or, for example, force them to get vaccinated or get fired. I like it. Don't you? Um, you may not agree with everything he just said there, but um, I can live with that. How about uh, an email that Tesla put out to uh, or SpaceX put out to its employees? You can wear a mask if you want now or forever, but you are not required to by SpaceX policy to wear one. Although L.A. County has issued an indoor mask mandate, it is inconsistent with the science and recommendations coming from the CDC. I like this guy. Um, he said this also recently in a podcast. In the grand scheme of things, I think this is, you know, what we have is something with a very low mortality rate and high contagion and something that is of low risk to a young person is, is of high risk to an older person. Essentially, the thing, the right thing to do would be to not have done a lockdown for the whole country, but to have, I think, Anyone who's at risk should be quarantined until the storm passes. Smart, really smart. Our government, Dr. Fauci, what they did, not smart, in my opinion. Um, oh, and he's not afraid yet to mix it up with Democrat politicians. He was giving Senator Liz Warren a hard time. I generally don't like the term Karen, but I think it's perfect for Senator Liz Warren. She was giving him a hard time about uh, taxes. He pointed out that he paid more taxes than most people pay in about a million lifetimes. Uh, oh, we were just sent this. It's an oldie but a goodie when Liz Warren, Senator Democrat from Massachusetts, takes a private jet to uh, some event in February of 2020. But look at how clever or dumb, how clever she thinks she is, how dumb she thinks we are. She sees the camera. Okay, oops. Can't be seen walking off a private jet, a liberal progressive like me. I'm just going to stay here behind the staffer. Nobody can see me, da-da-da-da-da. We see exactly what she's doing. She's being a hypocrite, a total hypocrite. Now, you know who I like? Um, people who are not hypocrites, people who are authentic. And if you're going to fly a private jet, own it. Own it like this guy <laughs> when he was running for president. Didn't pretend to be something 
that he wasn't. I love it. All right, we'll be right back uh, with a politically correct and we'll see if this works out choice for police commissioner in New York City. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watch us, so can you. Newsmax, we are real news for real people. All I can say. Is, is that, that the, the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? <laughs> the fake news helped bring about this horrible moment in America where police and the community don't seem to get along, right? A major wedge has been driven between them, and it was all artificial. It never had to be. It wasn't in this city for the longest time. Eight years ago, at the end of Mike Bloomberg's 12 years as mayor and Ray Kelly's 12 years as police commissioner, this was a safe, clean, well-governed city. Uh, and the cops, internationally recognized as possibly the best police force in the world, and the police and the community got along. The numbers show that. People approved of the job the cops were doing, overwhelmingly so, across ethnic lines. And by the way, the cops were from all over the world. So I want to tell you about Ray Kelly, the police commissioner. Happens to be my dad. I'm a little bit biased, but take a look at this. From the New York Times uh, in 2013, 75% of those surveyed said they approved of Mr. Kelly's job performance. Went on to say whether Democrat or Republican, white or non-white, male or female, wealthy or not, New York City voters overwhelmingly like police commissioner Raymond W. Kelly. That is after 12 years in office. That's, uh, that's quite an achievement. But it was time for Bloomberg to go. And in came Bill de Blasio, a crazy, lunatic, leftist, communist, went to Cuba and Nicaragua on his honeymoon. This guy is anti-American. This guy smokes pot. This guy is crazy, all right? And he hates the police. He hates the police. Well, he drove a wedge between the community and the police department. He talked it up, and ultimately, we saw the results. Carnage, ruin everywhere. Crime through the roof. The chaos of last summer actually was in the works for a long time. Take a look at this. Looks like Gotham City from a movie. This actually happens on a New York City street. This is Mayor de Blasio's uh, handiwork. And Black Lives Matter, which Bill de Blasio was firmly behind. You know, it was anti-cop. Ask the cops. They're getting into the cops' faces all over the place. It was ugly, and it was so unnecessary. But look, de Blasio is done, and now we have a new mayor who seems as lost and out of it as the old mayor. His name is Eric Adams, and in about two weeks, he's going to be the mayor. He announced his new police commissioner this week. This is, this is a, an amazing uh, moment. And, you know, 
uh, quantum physics talks about when you acknowledge the existence of something, it becomes apparent to you. And we have had so much talent in plain sight. But the reality is, is that we have never acknowledged the existence of it. What he's getting at is, because he's about to appoint a woman, all right? This is the ultimate virtue signal that women have not been acknowledged in law enforcement. And that's not true. That's a horrible thing to say, especially in this city, all right? So many heroes, like Moira Smith on September 11, 2001. Don't tell me the women heroes of this city were not acknowledged. Anyway. You'll see more here of uh, Eric Adams. I don't believe he's up for the job. Our new police commissioner not only brings a diverse set of experiences to this moment, but as I say over and over again, when I sat down and looked over the videos, interviewed her, she exhumes what it means to be emotionally intelligent. Okay, he said exhumes, which means uh, extract a dead body from the ground. I believe he meant to say exudes. Everything else is um, silly kinds of platitudes and cliches. A tool that is abused becomes a weapon. A tool that's properly used becomes a resource to keep people safe. We're gonna use the tools appropriately. And I know when someone abuses a tool, just like our new commissioner knows when someone abuses a tool. Gimmicks and slogans. Uh, by the way, <laughs> they're heroes, just ask them. I've never seen this before. Even Trump doesn't say stuff like this. I mean, he calls himself a hero. He calls himself a hero. You know that after 20-something years, I fought against that abuse. I testified in federal court against that abuse. I spoke out against that abuse. So you, everyone should feel comfortable right now. The hero to stop the abuse chose a heroic police commissioner to make sure it doesn't happen. That's a good feeling we should have. Yeah. Um, alleged abuse. He participated in a phony lawsuit that was, by the way, thrown out. Uh, he's a hero. He's a hero. But let's uh, hear from the new commissioner. It's kind of a bizarre appointment. She's from a suburb of New York City. I mean, that's where she works now. Not in charge, not a commissioner, just a, the head of the detective bureau. But uh, let's uh, let's give her a chance. I stand here today because a man boldly and unapologetically made a decision well before his monumental and successful election. A decision that gave women in policing across this country an opportunity. To all the little girls within the sound of my voice, there is nothing you can't do and no one you can't become. We've heard all this before, okay? It's been done and it usually doesn't work out, all right? If you focus on the genitals or the skin, Nobody cares. We care about job performance and getting the job done. Um, if you happen to be white, if you happen to be not a person of color, how do statements like this make you feel? I bring a different perspective, committed to make sure the department looks like the city it serves and making the decision, just as Mayor-elect Adams did, to elevate women and people of color to leadership positions. To elevate women and people of color to people of... How about elevating fine police officers to leadership positions? 
It sounds like uh, if you look a certain way, you might be counted out. I'll cross my fingers, but I'm not very hopeful about this arrangement here in New York City. All right, uh, briefly, media treatment of January 6th. You know they're giving our friends over at Fox News a hard time. I, to I don't understand it. I mean, it seems to me that Hannity, Ingram, the rest of them, they said the right thing when they were talking to uh, Mark Meadows back in January. This week, we got concrete proof that those very Fox News hosts knew the truth but they still lied to their loyal viewers. That proof came in the form of text messages, texts that then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows got from those same Fox News anchors on January 6th. Take Laura Ingram, for example. She personally texted Meadows this, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He's destroying his legacy. That's a reasonable thing to say in the heat of the moment. I, uh, what's the problem here? Can you imagine if Laura Ingram texted, oh yeah, go, take the Capitol, get in there, stop the count. She said what they were all saying, what people were saying. We wanted, by the way, the electoral count to be examined. All that stuff on January 6th got in the way of the objections that we wanted to hear. All right, stay with us. January 6th protesters, as you know, they've been in jail for a long time, some of them being treated so horribly by a deputy warden, possibly, who has a hideous bias against Trump and anybody who voted for him. A liberty-loving American takes on Washington, Hollywood, and the whole media establishment. He's Chris Salcedo. Join his fight. Tune in to The Chris Salcedo Show every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. Who's the house Do you want your house back? Take it! So many January 6th protesters are being treated unfairly without any justice, it seems. You've heard the complaints. Uh, we featured them on this show, especially the, uh, the detainees, the prisoners in that D.C. jail. They've been there for months and numerous accounts that the conditions are absolutely horrible. And somebody might be responsible more than anyone else, an anti-Trump deputy warden by the name of Kathy Landerkin. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene went to the jail several months ago. She tried to gain access. And uh, the deputy warden, Landerkin, uh, would not let her in and uh, quite frankly seemed, um, well, a bit condescending and a little bit political for a, um, a civil servant. There's no way to treat a congressional delegation. Marjorie Taylor Greene found out more about that official in the white shirt. She has a very colorful social media presence, very, very anti-Trump, anti-Trump supporters. First, let's hear from the Congresswoman, and then we're going to show you her tweets. It's absolutely 100 percent her political views is the reason why they're being abused. And she's not just any guard, Greg. She is actually the deputy warden of the D.C. jail. She oversees everything that these people go through in the jail. She oversees their conditions, their treatment, um, where, they're, where they're housed in the jail and everything that happens to them 
any of their complaints they make. Kathleen Landerkin, the deputy warden, would be fielding those complaints. This woman and her dangerous beliefs on Trump supporters is, is causing so many problems for these pre-trial January 6th defendants. So uh, that was earlier this week. We found the tweets with the help of uh, her office, by the way, and some other entities have uncovered these devastating tweets, devastating for her. Let's go ahead and put them up on the screen. She hates Trump and she hates Trump supporters. F everyone who supports Trump. Again, this is the deputy warden of that jail. How are we allowing Trump and his lackeys to destroy our country? Trump can't be pardoned by anyone. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Trump is doing more damage to this country than foreign terrorists ever have. The Trump family is a crime family. How do you think she's getting along with those guys in that jail? Trump won't be around in 10 years. He'll be in jail. Uh, President Obama went to church. Why doesn't Trump? Let's see what else. Trump is a. Look at that. Look at that. Well, that's pretty horrific stuff. I mean, you can think this stuff. You can post that stuff. But I don't think you can be close to the January 6th protesters while they're in custody around this person. That's not fair obviously, and somebody needs to correct that. And here's an idea I just had. Remember Joe Biden when he said he wanted to unify this country on Inauguration Day with all of his heart? He wanted to unify this country. We're done with the tweets now. Joe Biden could visit the January 6th protesters in that jail. Imagine that. Imagine that. Enough has been raised about this. Heck, one warden been, has been held in contempt. I think... He should do that. All right. There's been a major document dump related to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, the archives released 1,500 documents about the inquiry. Uh, I've been through them. I'm a bit of an assassination buff, by the way. I love talking about the assassination. I have my own theories about what happened. I'm going through the papers. I don't see anything that's going to alter my view of what happened. Here it goes, all right? I know a lot of you may disagree with me. But I do believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was the assassin and he was the lone assassin. It's my opinion. I've been through, um, there's so much evidence. I've been through a good chunk of it, not all of it, of course. Um, JFK in that motorcade, a lot of people erroneously say that that was a difficult shot to be made from the sixth floor. I've been in that sixth floor school book depository. I've looked. Uh, it wasn't a very long shot to make. And if you look at the Zapruder film, which has been enhanced over the years, they have, they, I, in my opinion, they've been able to conclude that the shot did not come from the front or from the grassy knoll, but definitely from the rear. Something I love to talk about. You can reach out for us here at Newsmax to us here at Newsmax. Let me know what you think. But uh, I think case closed, but I will be going through those documents. All right, stay with us. We're going to be talking to Joe DeGeneva about Ashley Biden's diary. Joe's daughter, Ashley, kept the diary, and now it's a federal case. The FBI is going crazy. We'll be right back. The young woman 
with Joe Biden is his daughter, Ashley Biden. We don't hear too much about her. Uh, she's 40, she's married, and uh, well, looks like she kept a diary for a number of years. This diary became public uh, about a year ago, just before the election, a little over a year ago, found its way onto some websites. I remember seeing it at the time. I read through it, you know, personal stuff there. I don't think it would have changed much in the way of the election, if anything. But look at this. Look at where we are now. There is a federal investigation underway, a serious one, to find out who found this diary and gave it to people who put it on uh, various websites. The New York Times, please, reports as follows. More than a year later, the Justice Department is deep into an investigation of how the diary found its way into the hands of supporters of Mr. Trump at the height of the campaign. The Justice Department is looking into a stolen diary or a missing diary or a lost diary. And remember, Joe Biden was just a person. He wasn't vice president. He wasn't president. And Ashley Biden was just his daughter. It seems like uh, they shouldn't be making a federal case out of this, but I'd like to bring in the expert, Joe DeGeneva, former U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. Joe, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you, sir? Doing fine. Joe, um, I am taken aback. I feel like the best thing to do with the diary, if you find it, is to return it to its owner. Somebody put this online. I think it's their right to do it if they want to. What is the FBI doing involved in something like this? That's a very good question, Greg. This stinks. And when something stinks, there's usually a reason for it. Why is the FBI investigating this? Why is the Southern District of New York investigating this? The Southern District has become Biden central for any case involving the Biden family. And there's a reason for that. Lisa Monaco is from there. She's the deputy attorney general. Why is this happening? The New York Times, as you know, is engaged in vicious litigation with James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. They've written stories about documents that were seized during the search warrant of Mr. O'Keefe's house. And the question is, how did the New York Times get those documents? How did they get this story? Why are they writing this? They're trying to destroy Mr. O'Keefe and Project Veritas. This is Stasi tactics from East Germany. East German Stasi, the Secret Service, used to search the homes of intellectuals, publish it, accuse them of crimes in an effort to destroy them. That's exactly what's going on here. This stinks to high heaven and nothing will be done about it because the FBI works for Merrick Garland and Merrick Garland is running the show. So according to reports, this diary most likely wasn't stolen. She left it somewhere. That person rented the house to someone else. Right. The strangers come in, find the diary. They did something with it. The diary, it's a booklet. It's probably worth $2. So we're not talking about major, uh, you know, something of great value here. Let me ask you this. Joe Biden came to uh, political office in 1973, almost 50 years ago. The rules were different back then. This is even before Watergate. And let's face it, <laughs> people use the FBI for personal reasons back then. It was done. I feel like Joe grew up in politics in another era where unleashing the FBI for some personal grudge was actually accepted. And he's still doing it. 
There's no question about it. That's exactly what's happening here. And what's interesting about the story is when you read it, there's nothing in that story that says that Project Veritas or James O'Keefe did anything wrong. There's nothing in there. This is an attempt at a smear. It's an attempt to reconstitute the story, to reframe it. And anybody who thinks that the Justice Department and the FBI are not acting at the behest of the president of the United States and his agents is out of their minds. This is clearly an attempt to intimidate somebody in the media. And by the way, not once in the article does the New York Times refer to Project Veritas or James O'Keefe as journalists. And there's a reason for that, because they're trying to say that James O'Keefe is not a journalist and is not entitled to protections of the First Amendment. And that's in order to protect the Bidens and the Biden family. Very disturbing stuff and not a peep from the mainstream media, not a peep. The holders of the First Amendment, the defenders of the First Amendment, not a peep. You know, uh, Project Veritas, they use hidden cameras, they go undercover, that kind of stuff. Local news stations used to do that all the time. You know, <laughs> seven on your side, uh, shame on you. They did it all the time. These are conventional tactics. They may not be very nice, but they're conventional things that people do. Indeed, they are. And in fact, the major networks, 60 Minutes, ABC, NBC, do it all the time. They brag about it. They're proud of it. They get their Emmys. They get their awards from journalism. Undercover operations are part of journalism. We respect that. We, we expect that from journalism, unless they're conservative journalists and they're investigating the Biden family. You know, this is pretty ugly stuff. Nobody's commenting about it. I'm delighted that you're focusing on it because this stinks to high heaven. It's dirty. It's dirty tricks. It's dirty law enforcement. Something is rotten at the United States Department of Justice. Really, really rotten. Can I say this? I know Ashley Biden is probably not watching, but having read portions of her diary that were publicly available online a year ago, uh, I've been there. I know what it's like. And um, yes. I really, I, I really felt like I wish the person who found it just gave it back to her. That didn't happen. Having said that, I think the answers that she's looking for are available through the church she grew up in and through God and the Bible. I'll leave it at that. Uh, listen, I want to ask you about the January 6th prisoners. It looks like they're being abused in that uh, facility in Washington, D.C. By so many accounts, we've heard of unfair treatment. And now we see the deputy warden, uh, Landrikin, I believe her name is, is a vicious anti-Trump tweeter. I mean, for years, all kinds of horrible things about the Trump family, Trump himself, Trump supporters. You can say all these things. You can think all these things. You can write all these things. But wouldn't it be a good idea to get her away from the people she seems to hate so much? She could work in some other part of that jail, right? Yes. And in fact, here's here's the problem right away. When when prisoners are arrested and by the United States government, they are committed to the custody of the attorney general of the United States, who then determines where they are held. These people in the January 6th riot are all being held at the D.C. jail at the order of Attorney General Merrick Garland. As soon as he read this story about this officer in charge of them, she, her animus toward the president, the former president and his supporters should recuse her from any involvement in the handling of these prisoners. But that hasn't been done. And that underscores once again that this is retributive justice against these 
people who were involved in this. This is ridiculous. The sentences are ridiculous. The pretrial detentions are ridiculous. The denial of medical care is ridiculous. And the performance of the D.C. federal judges in this is awful. Joe Biden, I know <laughs> if you are listening, you said you were going to unify this country. You said it. You said your whole soul was in it. You could fix this situation. You could, Mr. President, and you should. Uh, Joe DeGeneva, we appreciate it so much. Former U.S. Attorney for District of Columbia. To be continued, sir, many thanks. You bet. Be right back. The reign of criminals who are destroying our city, it is time for it to come to an end. And it comes to an end when we take the steps to be more aggressive with law enforcement, more aggressive with the changes in our policies, and less tolerant of all the that has destroyed our city. Wow, good for her. That's uh, Mayor London Breed of San Francisco. Now, she said a lot of crazy stuff over the past year or so, but I feel like this could be a turning point. Um, she seems to get it. Now, I know talk is cheap, but San Francisco's out of control. She seems to recognize it, and maybe she'll do what it takes to fix it. And I hope other communities will as well. I'd like to bring in Brandon Tatum, former police officer, big-time supporter of law enforcement, superstar on social media, and more recently, the author of Beaten, Black, and Blue. Just came out, uh, I'm sorry, it will come out on, uh, no, it just came out, sorry about that, November 30th. I look forward to downloading it and reading it. Brandon Tatum, welcome back. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, listen, what do you make of the mayor, first of all? Was that uh, just a feel-good speech, or is there something here, something substantive? Well, I hope to God it is. I, I mean, I, I, I agree with her passion. She should be passionate about it. I mean, maybe she liked to shop at Louis Vuitton, and they robbed the Louis Vuitton store one too many times. Um, but I really do hope. I mean, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that they do need to crack down on uh, law and order. They do need to take these things more seriously and hold people accountable for all of the crime that's going on. And, and I hope that she regret, and every mayor that's around the country that we regret, that they thought about and even insinuated that they would defund police. You cannot defund the police and expect for the community to somehow grow and flourish and that criminals are going to somehow uh, feel sorry for the police department and not commit crime. So I'm glad to hear her say that. That's a, that's a start in the right direction. Uh, they talked about defunding and also overall just kind of stigmatized cops and uh, the community holding up cameras. You used to be in the old days, uh, officer, he went that way. <laughs> and now they just break out the camera, try to catch him. Uh, Brandon, I want to play uh, one more clip, a few more uh, specifics from the mayor of San Francisco. What has made the most significant difference to address public safety is, yes, We've made investments in social service programs, yes. We pushed for reforms to our criminal justice system. We will continue to do that. But when a line is crossed, people have to be held accountable for the crimes they commit in our city. And that's where our police officers have been critically important to our ability to do so. Uh, how do, how let down do cops feel as a result of the rhetoric over the past year? And do you think this is enough? Is this a turning point? 
I know I kind of asked well, that already, but I, I, seeing it again, I'm just trying to gauge how real this is. Well, the analogy that comes to my mind is that you are, you're a married man, you're a great man, you, you treat your wife well, and then she cheat on you for somebody that's not as good as you, and then she wants you back. And you say, you should have done right by me the first time. And the same thing happens in law enforcement is when your mayor comes out and defunds you, and then now she want to come back to you and say, oh, you are very intricate and important to us after we've been decimated, after we had our hands tied behind our back, after you've ridiculed us and beat us, beat us down, and some of us have died as a result. Now you want me back. Now you realize that I'm a good man. Now you realize that we are invaluable to the community's success. I mean, it really bothers me that she would even get to this point. It does not take a rocket scientist. You do not take away law enforcement to push these social programs. Social programs don't stop thugs from thugging. It's not going to stop somebody from getting in a Louis Vuitton. These people don't care. They are past that point. Mommy and daddy did not do their job when they were growing up. They are not going to change. These are adults making adult uh, making adult decisions, and they need to be held accountable as adults. So I'm not shocked that she's now uh, realizing or, or that she's at least pointing to the fact of the fact that they need law enforcement to address these issues and not somebody rubbing the back of their head and saying, you know, everything's going to be all right in, you know, in the whole uh, rigmarole. So. Your uh, hypothetical there about the wife cheating is uh, very powerful. Maybe <laughs> maybe too powerful. That's, uh, <laughs> but it, we get the message, definitely. Uh, hey, we have a new, uh, an incoming police commissioner here in New York City, the first black female police commissioner of this town ever. And when they made the announcement, they talked about that an awful lot. Uh, listen to this. I stand here today because a man boldly and unapologetically made a decision well before his monumental and successful election. A decision that gave women in policing across this country an opportunity. To all the little girls within the sound of my voice, there is nothing you can't do and no one you can't become. You know, I'm sorry, but I heard this stuff with Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris and uh, I guess Barack Obama had a version of it. It doesn't I know I'm not the target audience, uh, but I feel <laughs> there's something sad about this. Uh, how do you feel about it? I think it's it, you're getting off to a bad start when you're talking about I'm a woman and I'm black and elevating women voices. And nobody cares about the color of your skin, about what was between your legs. Nobody cares. Can you do the freaking job? And this is the problem that we face in society today is where people are more concerned about virtue signaling than actually somebody getting the job done. And I don't want to hear anything about women in law enforcement. Do you want to be honest about women in law enforcement? Women in law enforcement and men in law enforcement are two different monsters. Women do not even have to make the same qualifications physically as men do. So you don't want to talk about equality when we start talking about men and women in law enforcement. I've been to plenty of calls where I have to get in a fist fight with somebody and I'm hoping that another man show up to help me fight. Do they really want to be honest and be fair about this? And it's not about disparaging male or female. Yeah. It's about saying, can you get the freaking job done? I do not care about what color you are. And uh, also for the record, we do wish uh, the new commissioner, Sewell, all the best and much success. Uh, Brandon Tatum, one more time, that book is available. Uh, black and Blue, Beaten Black and Blue, being a black cop in an America under siege. Uh, more to talk about that next time. Uh, Brandon, we thank you.
God bless you. Have a good holiday. Thanks again for watching. Uh, until tomorrow.